<coughs> okay, Perik Yudalad, chapter 14 of Tanya, as we're going through step by step. And we are in the middle of the discussion of the Benini, right? We've said so many times already, Tanya is called the Book of the Benini, uh, the Benini, which literally means the person in the middle of the road, the intermediate person. But as, as we learned right away in the beginning of Tanya, that the Al-Firadi's view of the Benini is quite different than what be, might be the normal way of understanding it. The regular way of understanding is someone who's in the middle, you know, does some good things, some bad things, mitzvahs, avarice, that's normal, typical, and true on, on one level. And yet Tanya is coming from a different place. And the Benini of Tanya is someone who's in the middle because they're struggling, because they struggle, because they have an active godly soul, an active animal soul, but they win their struggles. They win them over and over again, every time. And they're only called in the middle because of that struggle. Right? In the big tiny picture, I'm just going to say this over very quickly, in the big tiny picture, the tzaddik is someone that the godliness has overcome, has, has won, and there is no more struggle. The tzaddik is someone, as David Amal said, Libi chalol bekirbi. I did so much tshuva that my heart is hollow within me. There's no negative desire. There's no real struggle anymore. At least not a struggle between good and bad. There's always ability to go higher or whatever, but not good or bad. That's not in the Sadiq world. The Russia, on the other person, the wicked, on the other hand, the wicked person is someone who the negative sometimes wins the battles. And they sometimes sin. Right? And that's why there is wickedness there, because there's sinfulness. That's the other side. So the Sadiq is someone who has no struggle, because there's no more negative. The, the wicked one is one who sometimes loses the struggles. The Benini is the struggler who wins. Always struggling because both souls are active, both feelings are active, but the Benini has that ability of the, uh, that power, that determination. Um, and especially we talked a lot about the Benini's davening and the Benini's internal struggles, that the Benini is always able to come out on top. Every single time, always able to come out on top, which obviously is for us the, um, what we're looking for, to win our battles every time, right? Most, most people, I think, win battles many times, most times, usually. But the goal is every time. The goal is to always be on top of it. And as we've discussed, the goal is not necessarily not to have a struggle anymore. Most of us aren't meant to be tzaddikim. We'll talk about that in today's Tanya, in today's chapter. But our goal is to be a benini, to, to win our struggles and win them every time. That's basically what we've been learning. And we've, again, the last two chapters, um, 12 and 13, have been very much devoted to the Benini, as will tonight's chapter be. Perik Yudalid, and that's where it begins. Perik Yudalid begins with a very, I would say, a quite famous Tanya statement, where after two chapters of discussing the Benini in detail, he says, V'hine midas ha-Benini, he midas kol adam. The mida, the, 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 um, the, the uh, formula, or the, the, the way of behavior of the Benini, is the way that every person should aspire to. Every person should aspire, should try to be the Benini. Again, I'm just reading the two or three lines here because of their power. Every person has the ability to be the Benini at any time. This is something that's very much within the grasp of a person because a benini on its most simple level means the, ab- the ability to win the struggle, the ability to do right and not to do wrong. That when we have inev- ev- inevitably those struggles, we have the ability to overcome. Now, I want to say something uh, important. In the previous chapters, we learned about the depth of the benini's avoda. 
And we talk about the Benunis davening, and during davening, the godly soul is really inspired, and the animal soul is really not um, expressive at all in the Benini. So the Benini comes from a, a level of great depth, and therefore, because of the intense davening, and because of the intense um, Ahava Hashem, and Yira Hashem, love for God, and fear of God, that the Benini inspires within themselves, so therefore, they're able to overcome any struggle that comes their way. Today, in this chapter, at least at the beginning, he's talking about even if, let's say, the Benini didn't daven that well that day or the day before, one is maybe not that inspired. It's just a regular day, and I'm not feeling particularly spiritual, and there's no you know, leftover inspiration from this morning's davening. It's you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it's 9 o'clock at night, and I'm not feeling very Benini-like. Says the Al-Turabi, nevertheless, when push comes to shove, a Benini can always be a Benini. A person can always do the right thing, even if the level of inspiration is not there. Even if today they didn't daven perfectly, they're just sort of stuck. A person always has that ability. And he goes through the basic formula that one could or should think that should help them be victorious in every personal battle. And he says something very interesting. He says, um, he says, person has a battle, struggle. Uh, you, you name it, right? We're not going to go through examples here. But all, all of us are aware of struggles of, of right or wrong, good or bad, mitzvah or avera that we might have. What should a person tell themselves? Again, right now, I'm not inspired. Right now, I'm not coming off a great davening, and I'm not very inspired. What does one say to themselves that can get them over the, over the hump or over the struggle? And here's Dr. Rebbe's formula. He says a person says to themselves, you know, I want to do that thing, which Hashem says not to. I don't want to be a Russia. I don't want to be wicked. You know why? Because I don't want to disconnect from Hashem. I'm a Yid, I'm Jewish, I have a Neshama, and I don't want to disconnect from Hashem. And really, there's only one thing that can disconnect a person from Hashem, and that is sins. And he quotes the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, which says, Avonosechem mavdilim, that it's your sins that can disconnect or that can created a uh, separation between you and Hashem. So the person says, I don't want, I don't want to disconnect. Rather, I want to be connected to Hashem. And I want to be connected to Hashem with my faculties. My basic faculties, as we discussed in Tanya already many times, <coughs> excuse me, starting from chapter 4, where we talked about the three basic expressions of thought, speech, and deed. Right? Machshava, Dibur, and Maaseh. And a person which should tell themselves that I want my thoughts, my words, and my deeds to be connectors between me and Hashem. Now, but do I really want that? I mean, right now, I want to sin. Right? So, and I'm telling myself, I'm giving myself this pep talk. I don't want to do Averas. I want to be connected to Hashem. And then someone says, uh, really? I don't right now feel like I want to be connected to Hashem. Where is that coming from? What are you talking about? So the Alter Rebbe continues and says, from the Ava Misuteres Shebelibi, the hidden love that's in my heart. True, right now I'm not feeling very loving, and right now I'm not feeling very spiritual and very holy, but I know that I have an Ava Misuteres, a hidden love within my heart, as every Jew does. And in fact, he quotes a Pasuk from Tehillim, chapter 5, where we are called Ohavei Shemecha, those who love Hashem's name. It's a whole Pasuk in Tilim there. Whatever, it's a long Pasuk. But it finishes with that all of us rejoice with Hashem because we love Hashem 
even if that love is not expressive always, and even if I don't feel it right now, I still know that I have a love for Hashem. Okay, how do I know? Right? There's this, there's this um, uh, in, internal conversation going on in this chapter of Tanya. How do I know that all of us have this love for Hashem? Well, there's historical proof. What's the historical proof that me, as part of Klal Yisrael, and that Jews in general have that love for Hashem? Well, the historical proof is that for thousands of years, we've given our life not to be disconnected from Hashem. In history, in Jewish history, we know we've been living, we've had a long and difficult history, and many times in our history, we've been threatened with our life, and the pain of, the pain of death, um, and uh, ordered to give up our religion, our faith, whether it was the Inquisition or whether it was the uh, Crusaders or go through, go through history. And entire communities of men, women, and children, and this is, this is history, were willing to give their life not to be disconnected from Hashem. And not the great scholars and the great leaders, regular families. So I know that as a Jew, I'm an inherit, I, I, I've inherited that neshama that loves Hashem, though I don't feel it right now. But I know that it's there within me. Right? So again, this is this conversation that the Alter Rebbe is playing out for us. And he says, so I'm telling myself, I, I don't want to do that. Son. I don't want to do it because I don't want to disconnect because I love Hashem. Even though I don't know, I don't feel that I love Hashem right now, but I know that I love Hashem because I'm Jewish. And I know that that's my history and that's my inheritance. So the question is, well, well, if people love Hashem so much, so why do people sin so much? And again, this is the conversation I'm having with myself. If we're saying that all Jews love Hashem and everyone's willing to die for not to be disconnected from Hashem, then why do people sin so much? The answer is because of what we call the Ruach Shtus. Well, we're going to talk about that a lot later in Tanya. But the Ruach Shtus means the silliness that we have. The silliness is the part of us that tells us it's okay, you're not really disconnecting from Hashem. He doesn't really care, like big deal. If you just do this or say this or go there, right? And that's where we start giving ourselves excuses and telling us it's not so bad, it's okay, you're not really disconnecting. Or better yet, or worse yet, we just forget about the whole thing. We're not thinking about Hashem at all. We just sin because we don't think about it. But if we were to truly think about it, and if we would recognize that a sin is really a disconnector, the Al-Tarebi says a Jew would not sin. If we would have the facts in front of us, if we would see it as it is and know that a sin is a severance, a, a disconnect from Hashem, we all have a natural desire to be connected. And if we would see it clearly that it's, it's a disconnect, we wouldn't do it. You know, there's a lot of things, let's go away from, from uh, Tanya for a minute, but a lot of things that if we would see their, their effect, we wouldn't do it. But because we don't see the effect, we do it. Right? What's the example for that? When a person um, engages in a very um, unhealthy um, behavior, very unhealthy, terribly unhealthy, why would a person do it? Because I don't, is it really so unhealthy and how bad could it be, right? But if we would see, if we were able to have like a, like a little video screen and see what that's doing to me when I'm eating that, drinking that, smoking that, whatever it is, then we most likely wouldn't do it because we, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. So why are we doing it? Because we're being silly. Because we're not thinking things through. We're not seeing the truth of our, or the consequence of our behaviors. The Alter Rebbe says the same thing is with the sin. If we would exactly see what a sin affects and the level of disconnect it creates in us and Hashem, because naturally we love Hashem, we wouldn't do it. So therefore the Alter Rebbe tells, again, all this is all playing out within a person's mind or, or heart. The, Rebbe, the person should think to himself, 
I don't want to be silly. I don't want to be foolish. I want to know what I'm doing. And I want to, yes, understand what a sin entails. And therefore, I won't do it because I know the Torah says that a sin does disconnect me from Hashem. And that, that's the basic, I, maybe I said it in long, the Torah says it in like three, four lines, but it says the basic pep talk that a person should have with himself. And if a person thinks about this properly, the Torah says you can overcome every battle in life. Every battle of good or bad, of doing the right thing or not doing the right thing, doing the mitzvah, not doing the mitzvah, doing the avera, not doing the avera. When a person is focused and remembers, this will disconnect. I do love Hashem. I don't want to disconnect. And even though others might be foolish about it, I don't want to be a fool. And therefore, I will do the right thing and I will not do the wrong thing. And if I use that approach and I do the right thing and I don't do the wrong thing, then I won't sin. And that means I'm a bainani. Maybe it's a basic level bainani. Right? It's not a platinum bainani. But, but it's, it's a, you know, economy class bainani is pretty good also. So, and now Torah says, everyone could be that every day. However, what can't we be so easily? What's not necessarily in our grasp to have all the right feelings, to, to have this disgust of anything bad, and the simcha in our relationship with Hashem, that's already a different level. That's tzaddik territory, where I've changed the way of feelings and what I appreciate and what I don't appreciate, what I love or don't. That really might not be attainable for all. In fact, for one to um, reach that level, where one actually is disgusted by anything that's negative and has simcha and anything positive, that, the Alter Rebbe says, is like a gift from heaven. Um, he, he quotes an interesting Gemara, where it says, the Gemara attracted brachas, and it says there that when the rabbis would leave one from the other, it talks specifically about, <coughs> excuse me, when the Rabbanon would leave the, ho- the home of Rabbi Ami, who's one of the sages of the Talmud, or the home of Rabbi Hanina, another of the sages of the Talmud, they would say, they would, what was the wish? And this is the wish of tzaddikim to each other. They say, Olamcha tira bechayecha. What does that mean? Olamcha, which literally means your world, you should see during your lifetime. Strange type of wish. Right? We say, say travels. They said, What does that mean? So, so the Tanya explains, it means that in this world, you should already merit like Gan Eden. That means that your relationship to godliness should be such, just like in Gan Eden, where everything is clear and everything is holy and divine. They wished each other, you should feel that down here. That's a tzaddik wish. Right? When two tzaddikim are parting, they, and they'll, you know, instead of safe travels, have a good day, they'll say, yeah, have a Gan Eden day. <laughs> now, what does that mean, have a Gan Eden day? That means that my feelings are in sync. Not only I do the right thing, and not only I don't do the wrong thing, but I'm actually so enthused about godliness and so um, disengaged with anything unholy that I dislike it. And that, Dr. Rebbe says, is a gift from heaven, and that's not something that most of us can actually attain. He says that's like a reward that one might receive. And he quotes a Pasuk that talks about kahuna. Pasuk in Parshas Korach, it says, Avodas matona atein es kahunaschem. Hashem says, sometimes I give you a gift. Just like a Kohen has the gift of being a Kohen, one might have the gift of being able to experience certain spiritual and divine experiences every day. That's a gift from heaven that can come especially to a tzaddik. And that's not what we're talking about, that every person can demand of themselves to be able to live up to and feel every day. Okay? That, um, that finishes 
the no, not not actually not yet. I was going to say the first half of the chapter, but not yet. We have still one more point. So I mentioned last week, and beforehand also, I think, that throughout Tanya, he many times references and goes back to the first chapter, chapter one of Tanya, where he left off a number of questions, like um, enigmatic statements and questions and, and medrashim. And throughout Tanya, he says, okay, and now we'll get back and understand one of those points. He does a few of that right now. So one of the questions that we asked in chapter one of Tanya, that was 14 um, lessons ago, right? Because we're in chapter 14, advanced mathematics. So in chapter one of Tanya, he asked, he, he said a quote of Eov, Eov, Job. Eov turns to Hashem and says, I don't, it's not fear. You created Sadiqim, you created Rishayim. How could you punish and reward if you created people to be the way they are? It doesn't, doesn't seem fear. That's what Eov said to Hashem. You created some people to be Tzaddikim. You created some people to be Rishayim wicked. How do you give reward and punishment? It's silly. Right? That was his, what do you think? You like the question, right? Yeah. Now, but the Al-Turebi and Tanya challenged the question. He said, that's not so. Every person has freedom of choice. Basic tenet of Yiddishkeit. Every person can wake up every morning and be good or be bad. So what was Eov thinking? That was the challenge to Eov's challenge. Am I being clear? Eov sort of challenges Hashem. He says, God, I don't understand. You created Sadiqim, you created Rishayim. The Al-Turebi says, Eov, I don't understand your question. Don't you know? Every person has freedom of choice, Bechira Chafshis, to choose right for wrong. So what are you saying? God didn't create people to be Tzadikim or Rishayim. That was a question in chapter one. The Alter Rebbe says, now I'll tell you the answer. At least a half of the answer, actually. Another half is much later in Tanya. But he says, when Eil says, God, you created Tzadikim, he didn't mean you created people that they're for sure going to be Tzadikim. You created certain people with the ability to be Tzadikim. But not everyone. That's not fair. You know, the cards aren't stacked, you know, mm-hmm. ev- evenly. Certain people, you gave that ability that if they work hard enough, they'll be a tzaddik, which means they'll loathe, they'll, they'll hate anything bad, they'll love Hashem, and that's it. But most of us, we're not getting there. We can struggle, we can do the right thing, we can do the mitzvah, but we're not going to be tzaddikim. So he says, not fear. So it's, it's a different type of a complaint. He didn't complain, when, when one reads Eo's statement on a simple level, it sounds like Eo says some people are born or they're going to be Sadiqim, some people are going to be wicked. The al says that's not what Eo meant. Eo meant some, Eo, Eo, I mean, so Tanya concepts, right? He was way before Tanya, but the concepts. And so Eo understood that some people are born with abilities to get to places that others can't. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Or at least Hashem thinks that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he writes the book. So, but, but Eov was saying, it's not fear. But he wasn't challenging freedom of choice. Because Eov understood everyone could choose to do good or do bad. But what level one can attain is not necessarily in one's hand. So that's how we reconcile the apparent, on the one hand, Eov's challenge. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there is the concept of freedom of choice. And they both equal, they're both fine. There is freedom of choice to do the right thing and not to do the wrong thing, and everyone can do that every day. And yet, some people can get to a place where others might never. And that's what Eeyu's challenge was, but it wasn't a challenge about freedom of choice. And that's what the Rebbe explains here. And he finishes this part of the chapter with a quote from the Tikkune Zohar. Tikkune Zohar is a section of the Zohar, written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We always go back to the Zohar, foundation of all mysticism, um, Torah mysticism. And there it's written that Hashem created different types of neshamos. And he says there are those who are chasidim, 
Chasidim here doesn't mean as Chasidim are used um, loosely now. Chasidim is more uh, um, kind, kind neshamas uh, that their relationship to Hashem is more with with love and kindness. Giborim, people who are more strong or severe, hamisgabrim al Yisrael that are that are very powerful in overcoming their negative inclinations. There's Mari Torah, those who were created to be more Torah-type, scholar-type people. There's Nevi'im, those who can be prophets. There's Sadiqim. Point is, the Zara says very clearly, not everyone is created equally, right? People are created with different abilities, and based on that, different levels that they can attain in their service to Hashem. And that's what Eov was talking about. The differences that there are in creation. And yes, and it's a... We're not going to go off onto a tangent, but a basic Torah belief is that people aren't all created equally. And everyone has their own level and their own place that they're supposed to be at and their own mission and their own job, which today doesn't necessarily go over well by everyone. But Torah looks, Torah has that, Torah very clear about that. That people, even on basic level, there's a Kohen and there's a Levi and there's a Yisrael and there's a man and there's a woman and, and so on and so forth. And Torah is very clear that everyone has a different miss- uh, mission and different different talents and different different abilities. So this concept of tzaddik and benini fits right into that. Yes, certain people are meant to be tzaddikim and therefore given that ability, and most are just not. Can a person be a rasha one day and a benini the next day, or if he's ever a rasha, then he's Never a Bainon. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I understand. Someone asked you the question, could a person be a Russia on Sunday and a Bainani on Monday and a Russia on Tuesday and a Bainani on Wednesday? Um, And that's an excellent question. It's an excellent question, and there isn't a clear yes or no answer to that question. Um, In the truest form of Bainani, no. Mm -hmm. The truest form of Bainani is one who reaches a place where they're not sinning tomorrow either. Now, a person can always change. A person can go through a life change and change. Like, there's no, no uh, security for anyone. There's no job security or bainani security. Mm-hmm. But the real bainani is at the level where they're not changing so fast. They've come to that place. In this chapter, though, he's discussing, I think, a more basic level. That today I could be a bainani. Today I could be perfect every minute of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and will that, uh, you know, uh, spill over in tomorrow? I'm sure it will have an effect on tomorrow. But today, we're t- I guess, specifically in chapter 14, I would say versus what we're learning the previous weeks, we're talking about a more basic ability right now. I'm going to do the right thing, and I can do the right thing no matter what happens yesterday, no matter even what's going to happen tomorrow. So th- there's that. So again, there's not a clear answer. I think it depends on if you're talking about the essence of the Bainani or just the Bainani behavior. The more essential Bainani is a level attained through a lot of service, and that person is not changing so fast unless something really shifts. Um, but then there's Bainani behavior. Mm-hmm. Bainani behavior today could be a Bainani day. Okay? And it's really, that, that's alluded to in the very first words of this chapter when he said, Vihine midas habainani. He didn't say madrega habainani. It's an interesting point that the Rebbe makes. The madrega, the ultimate level of the Bainani, is more than just today. Mm-hmm. But the behavior of a Benini, right now I could be a Benini and do it right. Okay? Okay. He moves on now, part two of the chapter, and again talking about some of the points that we started in chapter one. He says a very beautiful point. <clears throat> the very first lines of Tanya was a quote from the Talmud, which discussed an oath that every soul undertakes as it's coming into this world. Right? This is, when you, when you open your Tanya the first time, you read about the oath that the Talmud talks about, that as a soul descends from heaven and comes into the body, the soul undertakes an oath. And what is that oath? The oath is, Tehit Tzadik. 
be a tzaddik. Ve'alta hi rasha, and don't be wicked. Mazel tov, baby's born. <laughs> but that's what happens right before birth. Tehit tzaddik, be a tzaddik, and don't be a rasha. Now, it, we, I think we discussed way back then, I'll just say it again. The word for oath in Hebrew is shvua, which is also the word for, for visavata, the chalta visavata, to be sated, to be nourished, because the oath is really nourishment for the soul. When the soul swears to be a tzaddik, that means it's being empowered and given the power to actually fulfill the soul. Okay, but having said that, there's an interesting question that the author of it doesn't clearly say in chapter one, but he says it here. Let's think about it. The, 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 ba- the new baby, the new soul is swearing, I'm going to be a tzaddik and I will not be a Russia. Isn't there some level of redundancy here? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be a tzaddik, then I won't be a Russia. Mm-hmm. Why does it say, to heat tzaddik, I'll be a tzaddik and I won't be a Russia? As if, like, might you be a tzaddik and a Russia? Is that an option? What, what's, the, what's the double expression here? And the Altarebbe says something very powerful. He says, based on all this Sadiq Benini talk, we can understand the double oath. Because the first thing we say is, be it Sadiq. But then it becomes apparent, uh, I don't know if I'll ever actually be at Sadiq. So he said, you know what? But don't be a Russia. Even if you might not attain Sadiq status, but, and that you might not even be able to attain, but one thing you can attain, don't be a Russia. Because don't be a Russia means don't sin. Don't do the wrong thing. Do what you got to do. That everybody could do. And that's why we have this two-step oath. As the Nishama is coming down, it's almost like try do this. But if you can't do this, at least do that. So be a tzaddik. Work on being a tzaddik. But and with the understanding that you may not actually be a tzaddik, but you definitely shouldn't be a Russian. So that is the explanation of the double oath, right? Try to be a tzaddik. If not, at least don't be a Russia. Which means, in simple words, if you can't be a tzaddik, be a Bainani. Because the Bainani is just the one who's not a Russia because they don't do anything wrong. But here, this leads into a fascinating po- point, which is going to take us now until the end of the chapter. So why did they make me swear to be a tzaddik? I might not be able to be one. So we should have just skipped part one and went to part two. And maybe for the few tzaddikim in the generation, they could have a double oath. Why are all of us uh, swearing, I'll be a tzaddik, oh, and if I can't, I won't be a Russia, if Hashem knows that I probably won't be a tzaddik. So why go through that? Why go through step one and fall back to step two? Just go straight directly to step two. And here, the Alter Rebbe adds a very, very important thing. And says, because all of us should always try to be a tzaddik not just the Benini. And this, um, I remember I think there was a question asked last week that I said we'll deal with this week and, uh, about can a Benini become a Tzaddik? That was asked here last week and I said I'll deal with it now. This is where we get to it. And the idea here is a very beautiful idea, which is <clears throat> the basic difference, as we've said, between Benini and Tzaddik is the Benini does the right thing. The Benini always does the right thing, always wins the battle. The Tzaddik has the right feelings. The tzaddik dislikes that which is bad, dislikes that which is wicked, which is against Hashem, and loves Hashem. So, let's say I know, eh, I'll never be a tzaddik. So I have two approaches. One approach is, okay, I'm not going to work with internal feelings, because I'm not going to be a tzaddik. 
I'm just going to work on always doing the right thing. That's it. My job is to be a bain me. I'm just going to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. I'm not going to deal with trying to love Hashem more or trying to dislike that which is negative because I'm not going to get there anyway. And al says that's a mistake. All of us have an obligation of tehit tzaddik, to work on being a tzaddik. What does that mean practically, to work on being a tzaddik? In practical words, what can I do to work on being a tzaddik? That means I'm working on disliking that which is negative. So, to, to be clear, Hashem says a certain behavior, I don't want you to do that. So one approach is, okay, so I won't. The other approach is, no, I want to be a little more spiritual. I want that that thing should become, like, disgusting to me. Because it's against Hashem's will. That type of behavior, I actually want to think about how lowly it is and how bad it is to go against Hashem's will. And it's something that's negative. So I'm trying to, like, build a certain dislike or disgust to something that Hashem doesn't like. Right? Um, an example. Um, there are people who are very, very into health. Health foods, right? So therefore, they don't eat something that's very unhealthy because it's very unhealthy, right? So other people look at it and say, oh, that's disgusting. Why is it disgusting? Because it's so unhealthy. So don't eat it. Why is it disgusting? Right? We do know such people, they look at that. Oh, how could you even touch that? It's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's not disgusting. It's unhealthy. I know, but something that's unhealthy to me is disgusting. That means I grew to a place, it wasn't always when I was a child, I probably thought that was really cool and tasted good. And then at some point I said, you know, I shouldn't be eating that junk. And then at some point I came to a place where that junk, oh, it's repulsive. When did I go from, I'm not going to eat it till it's repulsive? At some point of maturity, that which is bad to me becomes repulsive to me. And that could be spiritually as well. It starts off with, well, Hashem said don't do it, I won't do it. Okay. But it's okay. But I, but I can actually grow in my spirituality to where something that Hashem said not to do, and not just I won't do it, it becomes repulsive to me. And the same is on the opposite with the mitzvah. That instead of, at one point, I got to do it, okay. I got to daven, I'll daven. I got to light candles, I'll light candles. I got to do it. Or I can create an excitement so that I look forward to it because, wow, that's another mitzvah I can do. So what I'm doing when I'm working on being repulsed by something negative and being excited and happy by doing something positive, really, I'm dabbling in the avodah of a tzaddik. Am I, am I being clear? Because bainani is just about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. Tzaddik is about where my heart is at. And when I was born, they told me, work on being a tzaddik. Now, will I ever get there completely? Maybe not. Probably more likely than not that I will never attain that level completely. But life is not about all or nothing. There's so many different, there's so many levels in between complete perfection and I'm just repulsed by everything bad and I love everything good versus step by step, little bit by little bit. And that's the double oath that we took when we were born. On the one hand, Hashem wants work on being a tzaddik. In other words, I don't want you just to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. I want you to, to work yourself up there, become more spiritual people. And yes, 
love and like more and enjoy and appreciate the good things, the holy things in life. And I want you to less and less appreciate the negative things in life. In fact, I want you to work on being repulsed by that which is against Hashem and against Kedusha. Work on where you'll get. Who knows? So I want you to work on that. But at the same time, no matter where you get there, make sure not to be a Russian. That's, you know, that's not negotiable. That's being a Bainini. That's doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. And the Altarebbe continues, and he says that when we work on these sadic feelings, we work on being repulsed by that which is bad. We work on appreciating, enjoying, and being happy with good. Step by step, that becomes part of us. Because he calls, he talks about something called Teva Sheni. What, is teva, what does Teva mean? Teva is a nature. A Teva Sheni, in English, is translated as the second nature. What does second nature mean? Comes natural. But, but that's first nature. Second nature means that even though that might not be my natural, natural mode, that can become a second nature. I can train myself to attain new natures, Things that become naturally to me, they're not birth natural to me, but I can work on something long enough, I could change the way I am. Right? There are people who, I'll give you an example, there are people who are naturally very studious. There are people who are naturally very not studious. But through working enough on it, study can become something that's also natural to them. But it takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ebbe says, a bainini can acquire a tzaddik nature. Even though they're not tzaddik tzaddik, that's not their natural state of being, that's not where they're, they're not, that's not their soul level like the great tzaddikim in the generation, but through extensive effort and spiritual growth, one can acquire tzaddik natures as well. So that yes, things that are negative will be less appealing and less appealing and even begin to be somewhat repulsive. And things that are positive can become more and more my joy and what I look forward to and what I appreciate. That's the, the tzaddik nature that the Benini can acquire through Avoda. And then he says, even more so, he takes it one step further. He says there's something called, and this is a Kabbalistic concept, that through tremendous avoda, especially in certain mitzvahs, I can connect to the soul of a certain tzaddik, and that soul of the tzaddik, or an expression, or a, or a, a, a ray of the soul of the tzaddik, can enter into me and bring me to a level that on my own I could never be there at all. But because of the tzaddik, the words in Kabbalah is that the tzaddik soul comes in me in a way of ibur. Ibur literally means um, like, like pregnancy, like having a, uh, um, like a, fetus, a fetus within a person. Right? A, a pregnant woman has within them someone else. Spiritually, there's the concept of pregnancy as well. The Kabbalistic idea of pregnancy is where the neshama of someone else comes into me to help me in my avoda reach a place that I wouldn't reach on my own. Wow. It's interesting, the uh, Samasetic here, um, in his comments to Tanya, he um, quotes a story that happened with the Arizal. Right? The Arizal, or Isaac Luria, the great Kabbalist who lived some what, 450 years ago in Sfas, probably one of the, definitely one of the greatest Kabbalists who ever lived. And uh, there's so many stories about the Arizal and his clairvoyance and his holiness. But of one very beautiful story, um, one day he was teaching, and the Arizal had his disciples. In fact, I've mentioned in the past, the Ari, the word Ari means the lion. 
the word Ari in Hebrew is Ayin. He's called Ari because that's an, an acronym for Adunenu Rabbi Yitzchak. Our master, his name was Yitzchak. Our master Rabbi Yitzchak. So the acronym is Ari. So he was the holy lion. His disciples were called the cubs. The, in Hebrew, that's the Gurim, the Gure Ha'ari, which is especially, of course, important in Chicago. But the Arizal's disciples were called. So one of his disciples was a great tzaddik. His name was Reb Shmuel di Uzida. And he actually wrote a very, very um, significant work on Pirkei Avos. Um, on Pirkei Avos, it's called Medrash Shmuel. And that was written by this disciple of the Arizal named Rabbi Shmuel di Uzida. Okay, that's just some background. This Rabbi Shmuel de Ozida, when he was a young man, one day walked into the Arizal, to the, to the class, Arizal's lecture or class in Tzfat. As he walks in, the Arizal stands up in honor of this young disciple, walks over to him, takes him by the arm, brings him to sit next to him, says, Baruch Haba, welcome, and he has him sit next to him, and he gives the Torah class. It was really strange. This was one of the youngest of the disciples, and he wasn't known as one. I mean, he was a great tzaddik, but this was a room full of tzaddikim. And here, the Arizal, who's older than him, or whatever, is giving him, according to him, such honor, but nobody asks questions. The Arizal did what he did, and the class finished, everyone left. The Arizal had one primary disciple, the one who wrote all his teachings, was Rabbi Chaim Vital. So after everyone left, Rabbi Chaim Vital came to the Arizal. He says, Master, I have to ask you, what happened? What was that all about? One of your youngest disciples walked in and you stood up and you borrowed Chabah and you greeted him with that type of, you know, what was it? So the Rizal says, I wasn't standing up for him and I didn't say Baruch Chabah to him. When he came in, I saw he was accompanied by the soul of one of the great sages of the Talmud who lived 1400 years ago or a thousand years ago. And that was Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, who's again, in the Talmud is mentioned with great, and I saw his soul enter together with Rib Shmuel. So I stood up for Rib Pinchas ben Yair and I said Baruch Abba to him. And that was that. So Rib Chaim said, why was the soul of Rib Pinchas ben Yair with Rib Shmuel? He was like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ask, but he was there. So I greeted him and I, and I honored him. So Rib Chaim w- went out and he found this Shmuel and he said, tell me what you did today. You must have done a special mitzvah today. And he said, well, actually, if you're asking, yeah. I said, in the morning, as I was on my way to classes, I, I came, I passed by a house and I saw people were crying. I asked, well, what is going on? It seems that they were, during the night, some the thieves had come and had cleared them out to the extent they didn't even have clothing. They had nothing. So I immediately, I had my overgarment, my coat. I gave it to the, to the person. I went home and brought clothing from my family and I brought all my clothing to them. They should be able to get dressed and go about their day and get the, you know, start getting the life. That's what I did. So Chaim Vital said, now I understand. Because that's the special mitzvah the Talmud says Rabbi Pinchas ben Yoyer would do. That he would help people who were lacking in their basic needs, necessities. He gave his, his own shirt off his back. When you did his mitzvah, you were zocha. You merited that his neshama came from Ganadin and enclosed itself he within you. he had that soul in No. He didn't know anything. He didn't know a mitzvah. Nobody knew anything. The Arizal just saw the Tzad Rabbi Pinchas ben Yoyer. This person just did a mitzvah. Rabbi Chaim Vital connected the dots. But the idea is this concept that we have the ability of connecting to a tzaddik and that that soul of that tzaddik actually helps us reach places in our avodah that on our own we wouldn't be able to uh, uh, reach on our own. And therefore, finishing this chapter, he says, so therefore when a person, the Bainani soul, the person who's not that soul that's meant to be a tzaddik, but through enough avodah, we said it can become a second nature, he can connect to the soul of a tzaddik, um, and that soul can bring them to a place that they, um, 
that they uh, that they um, that they wouldn't have been able to reach on their own. And either way, through all this, the person is fulfilling even the first oath of being a tzaddik, right? Because as we said, when we were born, we took that double oath: be a tzaddik and don't be a rasha. Which again means be a tzaddik and at least be a benin. Don't do anything wrong. But we can't suffice with only working on doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. We also work on the avoda of becoming more and more tzaddik-like as well, meaning that we have more positive feelings for our mitzvahs and more uh, abs- um, loathsomeness or, or hatred or dislike or disgust to that which is negative in Hashem's eyes. And that's how we work on that part of the avoda as well. So with that, he finishes the chapter. But the, the, so the, the basic idea of the chapter is, A, how the Bainani is attainable to every person every day. And, and, and to answer to your question before also, the basic service of the Bainani, of doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, is something that all of us can do every day at every given time, whether we davened well that morning, whether we were inspired or not. And he told us the whole back and forth that a person thinks about, I don't want to be disconnected from Hashem and I don't want to be foolish and so on. But, and yet, we also have the ability to work on, and not just the ability, we have the obligation to also work on the internal parts, the tzaddik like avoda, and to some degree, we have the ability of reaching it, everyone on their own level, and especially with help from above, and the tzaddik and so on, as we finish in this chapter. And with that, we finish chapter 14, and next week we, fin- we continue, um, still definitely on the Benini subject, with some very uh, new and beautiful ideas in chapter 15, which we will touch on next week. Thank you. Thank you.